Welcome back to another episode of Brawn and Brains. I'm your host, Rachel Braun, and today we have a really cool guest on the show. Pete is a senior director at Microsoft and host of his own podcast, The IoT Unicorn, brought to you by Microsoft. I met Pete over Twitter and thought he was really interesting, so I asked him to come on the show. Uh, Pete, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit better for us? Sure, yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's kind of interesting to be on the other side of the microphone mm-hmm. here. I'm usually the person and <laughs> driving the questions. Um, but yeah, so I work at Microsoft. I live in Bellevue, Washington, up here in the great Northwest. And I've been at Microsoft about 15 years. And, uh, you know, just uh, trying to uh, take it one day at a time. Yeah, that's really cool. So sp- specifically at Microsoft, what is your role as senior director of... Of yeah, so I work in a group called Azure Edge Devices. Um, Microsoft's a big company, as you can probably imagine. We have lots of pieces to it, but there's the big piece called Azure, which is a cloud platform. You know, uh, there's a lot of companies um, leveraging the cloud for all kinds of things, and as well as people. Of course, we're we're talking on Zoom, which uses the cloud. Um, and so, uh, inside of that big cloud business we have for Azure, there's a group that's focused on IoT. Uh, internet of things and connecting interesting things to the cloud for edge AI and other kinds of things. So I work in that group. And so my team does uh, works with Silicon partners, works with telecom partners. Um, You know, it's kind of a team sport. Uh, A lot of the IOT stuff in the tech world, you have to have lots of partners doing things together and we try to help customers, uh, you know, develop and deploy IOT solutions using uh, edge AI. So. Oh, that's really, really cool. So I Googled a ton before we started talking about intelligent edge devices. So it's cool that how that ties into the cloud. I feel like that's really, really relevant. Um, now, especially more than ever, I feel like the cloud's going to be starting get going to be utilized in a lot of different spaces now that we're doing work from home a lot more. Yes, for sure. It's kind of a remote everything type environment, right? So, um, yeah. you know, uh, autonomous systems, you know, picking up your pizza curbside. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, so yeah, there's, there's, and obviously remote learning is a big thing and, you know, people meeting like this, um, yeah. it's kind of the new normal, uh, for better or worse, but you know, <laughs> hopefully for better. I think I have actually like enjoyed working from home more than I've liked going into the office office. I find that I'm able to like separate my work life balance a lot better. So I guess we can go all the way back before Microsoft, because um, I'm really, really interested in how you got to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know you wanted to go into tech before college, or did you find that out once you got to Boston University? No, I was into tech, you know, in high school. Um, you know, I was into PCs uh, back then, and uh, you know, I had a I had a Radio Shack, you know, computer and all that good stuff. So I was into it in high school probably middle school. And then, uh, so I knew going, I was kind of lucky in that I going into college, like I knew I wanted to study something around computer science or computer hardware. And I kind of knew that was my track. So 
Yeah. Uh, you know, um, not everyone has that. I guess kind of a luxury with that, having that conviction because I was able to then kind of narrow down my school choice and things like that. And then, you know, the career path was a little more organic because um, tech was evolving so quickly at that time. Who's to say, you know, like, you, you know, you're not going to try to do a career in intelligent edge IoT back in the 90s. Um, <laughs> so, but that just sort of happened over time. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So if you weren't doing tech, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm very interested in music. And uh, um, so that might be a thing. Um, I guess at some point I would, I was, I used to shop at a lot of record stores, you know, and uh, so maybe running a record store or something, but um, I don't know, you know, it's, um, it's hard to say. I mean, I've been involved in tech for so long, but I do, one of the things I like about working on tech, it's not just the tech, but it's also the people. Mm-hmm. And it's been one of the reasons why I started the podcast is the people involved and the partners and, you know, working with other people and kind of figuring out how to be productive doing that is kind of really challenging and interesting. So, you know, certainly something around uh, engaging with other, other people and doing, you know, building business that way would be, that's always kind of an interesting part of the world. Yeah, that's something I always think is super funny when I tell people that I'm interested in the tech space. And one of the reasons uh, I totally agree with you is the people. I feel like immediately when people think tech, they think of kind of like a reclusive job, like sitting in a cubicle coding all day. And I always thought that was so funny because with tech, I always feel like it's such a conversation starter. Like if you're really, really interested in technology, I feel like it's you're such a conversationalist about the matter especially with platforms like Twitter, where we met on, where there's these little communities, I feel like, where it's a a never-ending cycle of people bringing up new pieces of technology or talking about how technology is impacting their lives. Like, it's a really social career path, which I really, really like. Um, And I don't think it's necessarily portrayed as such all the time, especially not in movies or anything. It always bugs me when I see, like, uh, like, a cybersecurity team or something like that. Like, hidden in like a super dark room with like a bunch of green buttons around them. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Usually it's <laughs> a lot less glamorous than, than uh, CSI or whatever they have. Uh, on yeah, yeah. When you watch NCAA, you're like, really wait cool. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I saw your first job was in a converted bike shop called the Bitbucket Computer Store. Yes. How did you get that? That's really interesting. And you had that in college, right? Yeah. So, you know, I graduated Boston University. Um, proud alum of that. And, uh, you know, had gone through the cycle of interviews as an engineering graduate. You know, you meet, you meet with a lot of folks. And back then there was a lot of, uh, a lot of defense contractors, big companies doing stuff. None of that really was that interesting to me. Uh, I didn't want to work in the defense industry and Raytheon and all that stuff. And, you know, no harm, no foul, just not my thing. And um, so I graduated without a job and uh, kind of was chugging along for a few months. And I'm like, hmm, this is not a sustainable path. Um, so my professor, one of my professors uh, at, at BU had this company called the Bitbucket. And I'd gotten to know him pretty well. He's a good guy. And, you know, they built their own PCs. And, you know, back then that was a thing. Uh, you could go into a computer store and buy a PC and buy some software and, you know, be on your way. So he had this business and they actually sold into actually commercial accounts. So 
they would build like a hundred PCs and then sell them. Wow. To them. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So we had a little, little operation going in there in this converted bicycle, bicycle shop in West Newton. And he's like, yeah, why don't you work for me? And, um, you know, having no other real means of support kind of made sense. <laughs> so I started working for him. I think I was his first official like engineering graduate person to work there. And, um, yeah, I did that for a year or two. And we, uh, I managed a little team there of folks that assembled PCs and got introduced to some of the technology. I knew the technology and the PC pretty intimately at that point. And there was a company that made, uh, a chip that goes on the PC and there's, there's software in that chip. And, uh, and it's the software that runs when you first turn on the computer and they call okay. it the BIOS is the name of it. And, uh, <clears throat> and there's a company that makes that. And interestingly, I was, I was still going to job fairs and stuff. Cause I knew this wasn't like a lifetime job, right? It's like, it's paying the bills and that's fine. And then I was go still going to job fairs looking for like my real job. And, um, the company that had that little chip was at the job fair. It was called Phoenix technology. So they had a booth at the job fair and I went up to them and said, Hey, your software, you know, has a lot of bugs and uh, <laughs> I've been fixing a lot of your bugs and I'm patching it. And it's, you know, I'd love to give you the code so that you guys can fix it. So I don't have to keep doing this stuff. <laughs> and they said, Oh, do you have a resume? I said, sure. Of course I have a resume. You know, and they called me the next morning and they were like, Hey, do you want to come in for an interview? And I'm like, Okay. Um, and I think by the end of the day, they had made me an offer and it turned out my professor was horribly underpaying me. Uh, I mean, it was like, I was getting paid like 10 basically uh, at, his, at his bicycle shop. And, you know, Phoenix came in with like a real offer, like some real money. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, so, so that started that. And I was actually at Phoenix for like nine years. Oh, that's really awesome. It was a real well, job. It was like hundreds of people flew, traveled around the world. You know, I relocated to California and wow, it was a real Are thing. Are you from Boston? From New Jersey originally. Okay. Where in Jersey? Bergen County. Yeah. I lived in Cherry Hill for like four seconds and all my, like uh, at Penn State, like everybody's from Jersey. So yes. I know, I know Jersey very well. I just went to Wildwood recently for the, for the yeah. weekend. It was really yeah. nice. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to move or was it the job then to the West coast? Cause I feel like the, oh, yeah. the Northeast and Boston and that mm -hmm. new England, that area, it's a huge cultural shift. Yeah, it is a big cultural shift. I probably didn't realize that. Well, I do have family out West. So my mom is from California, from LA. Uh, so, and I'd been out there a lot as a kid, you know, visiting grandparents and family. So I kind of knew the West coast a little bit. Um, and at, back in the day, you know, it was like Silicon Valley is like kind of a place to be. I mean, Boston mm -hmm. was great, but if you're into tech, you know, if someone says, I want to give you a free one-way ticket to Silicon Valley with a job, and I was like, okay. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> so I did that. And it was like a few years into my Phoenix gig. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, single and young and I was like, why not? Yeah. So they packed up my stuff for me and flew me out to California and I lived in Palo Alto and eventually moved up to San Francisco and met my wife and um, you know, the rest is history. But so, yeah, I, I think, you know, just being in Silicon Valley at that time was a really special experience and uh, you know, we just kind of opened up all kinds of new opportunities at the time. So it is a big cultural shift. We still have a house on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So I go back there every summer 
Oh, that's awesome. And uh, brought my kids back east, you know, pretty much every summer so they can appreciate that there's a world out there other than, <laughs> you know, yeah. their own neighborhood. But uh, it is definitely different. Um, but, you know, each, each, each coast has its, has its pluses. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I'm from, so I, I'm a third culture kid is what they call it. I was born and raised in Germany, but my parents are American, both mm. from Buff, like around Buffalo, Rochester area. So my idea of America, I think was really, really small. And then I moved um, starting when I was 16 to this area that I'm in now, which is around the DC area. So it's completely different from Buffalo. I people see. are really nice in Buffalo and people here are really mean, especially when they're driving, which is the first yeah. thing I've but, but yeah, like how big big the states are, especially career-wise, I'm noticing that a lot. Um, recently, I've been looking at jobs up in like Chattanooga, Tennessee, like in California, and yeah. I'm just seeing all the different cultural, culturally different, especially people, like the groups of people that have reached out to me have been really, really interesting. Um, how lucky we are to live in a place, in a country that's so big, and we have different cultures within the same yeah. the same country, which is insane to me just recently we were back east in long island yeah. as you're taking my daughter up to bard college and spending some time in long island before that <clears throat> and even just noticing the different the you mentioned the driving is yeah. like <laughs> you know it's sort of like a death race you know when you're driving in new york and yeah. uh, out here it's all very like four-way stop no you go no you go polite you know and uh or like in Boston, we used to say like the red lights are just for decoration, you know, yeah. like you just kind of go for it. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see those cultural differences. Yeah. In yeah. The same thing, same thing goes in Baltimore. I have to say um, the first time I drove on Long Island, I was meeting someone at the Merchant Marine Academy, which is in the Great Neck area. And I drove like uh, a piece, basically a piece of junk car, but I loved this car. It was a Subaru Forester and it was like a hand-me-down from like my grandparents but like this thing, if I like hit the ground hard enough, I think my feet could have like slammed through the floor and I could have like walked like the Flintstones did. Like this car was not right. on its last leg. And I remember driving and thinking like, thank God I'm in this car because I can drive so aggressively because if someone hits me, nothing happens to the value of this yeah, car. Yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> go nothing go nothing to lose except your potential safety, but yeah. Right, <laughs> right? and in Long Island, people were, were definitely, it was definitely something. Um, so I also did some more stalking, and I noticed that after Phoenix Technology, by the way, you went to eColor Inc. And that company yes. is super cool. Um, very, I did some Googling about them. Do you want to talk a little bit about eColor Inc.? Yeah. So we had, uh, so after nine years at Phoenix, I was pretty much done. And at that time, you know, dot-com era was kind of happening. Uh, I'd gotten a lot involved, involved in a lot of early web technology and, um, had a, f a colleague of mine, a friend of mine at uh, Phoenix that was into imaging, uh, imaging software. And he was starting a company uh, to focus on color and electronic color, which I didn't know anything about. But he had a friend of his who was a professor of uh, color science professor at RIT and had some cool stuff. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, it, the company wasn't called eColor at the time. But uh, it was a very small, just a few of us. And um, it was kind of a classic startup. We had a little bit of angel money and we ended up um, doing a couple of rounds. I think we raised like 30 or 40 million bucks over a couple wow. of rounds. That's awesome. Yeah, we hired a bunch of people. We moved several times and we were in San Francisco in the dot-com whole scene, you know, right in the middle of it. 
uh, right down the street from pets.com. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, kept growing the business. And so basically the, the tech was around electronic color and accurate color online, which at the time it's still pretty primitive. Like when you see a red sweater on a, we a website and you buy that red sweater and you take it out of the box, typically it doesn't look exactly like the red that you saw online. And that's a problem, right? Because then you're going to return it because it's a little not quite the same color. And so we were trying to solve that problem for e-commerce mostly. We I had some stuff for like, you know, making sure your printouts matched your screen, but that wasn't as exciting. So so e-color was all about that. And we worked with like J. Crew and Bloomingdale's and Sherwin Williams and all these people that were pretty color sensitive businesses. Sherwin Williams, know. especially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had one company that was like made toilet seats. I forgot who that was, but they had all these different shades of blue toilet seats. Uh, so anyway, so we had a pretty cool tech uh, and we worked with a company called Akamai early on when they were doing like a lot of caching. So we'd cache like image, image correct, corrected images on the edge of the web and stuff. It's pretty cool. So, but you know, in 2001, everything sort of kind of went south on for a lot of businesses and the bubble mm -hmm. burst and we ended up selling the business um, and everyone kind of going their separate ways. And, uh, but it was a great experience in terms of just building a business from scratch and being part of that whole scene. I still have a few patents on color, color science and color management. That's super. Now I know about color. <laughs> yeah, no, color is extreme. I mean, I think that's really, really, I was looking at the company. I thought it was so, it's something I feel like we take for granted a lot. Like I, I going mm -hmm. back to the shopping thing. So if I'm buying something online, I really take for granted that what I'm looking at is exactly what I'm purchasing. Um, or if I'm doing web design, the color that I'm picking out in the hex code that is going to accurately portray whatever color I'm putting in. Um, it's yeah. going to look the same for everyone. So I thought that was cool. And I also thought it was interesting that this was during the boom of the dot-com era. Um, yeah. At the time, were you living in the Bay Area during this? Yeah, living in San what Francisco. Was, yeah, what was it like living in San Francisco during that during that time? Um, you know, it was a great time. I mean, it was a boom time. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of traffic. Um, you know, rents were pretty high. I think we were living, do we have our house by then? Yeah, so we had bought a house in, uh, in, um, near, um, near the Mission, Glen Park. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, we started, I think our first child was born in 99. So yeah, so it was around that time, you know, young family. And it was just a lot of cool stuff going on. It was a big community. You know, there was people that you worked with everyone was working at some kind of startup. Everyone was yeah. trying to raise money. Um, you know, the VC who was funding you is funding a whole bunch of other companies in the Bay area that you sort of got to know. And, um, you know, it was a whole scene and, uh, it was interesting working with some of the more established companies. I remember going to New York city and meeting with Brooks brothers in Manhattan. Um, I met with Estee Lauder and their headquarters, so you're meeting with these very kind of traditional old school companies and trying, and they're all trying to figure out what is going on here with the web and <laughs> I need to be on the web and blah, blah, blah. And you're, you're trying to help them understand what's possible and what makes sense for them. And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned about cultural, I wouldn't say clashing, but different cultures, you know, so the Estee Lauder, remember walking to Estee Lauder headquarters. And like, one thing I remember about that place was that, you go up this huge elevator, you go out and the carpet was thick. 
the carpet was like four inches thick. I felt like I was like squishing onto this big carpet that had the EL logo on it. And um, yeah, so it was an interesting time um, and a lot of fun. And we still keep in touch. And, you know, you, you kind of forge a lot of skills, you know, at that time. Um, and that, that you kind of keep for the rest of your life. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. And how long were you doing that in at uh, ETH Color? Well, ETH Color was around, we, you know, we're around for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think we, we sold it off in 2001. Uh, we kind of got it going in like 97, 98. So, you know, it was, That's it was, great. it was there and then it was gone like many <laughs> other dot and- com. After that, did you kind of move seamlessly into Microsoft or was there a gap there where you- No, so then there was a gap. So then I ended up working at a company called Insignia. I had a friend of mine from Phoenix who was there. I was looking for something to do. I think I'd worked for him at when he was at Phoenix and he was like, hey, I got this thing. It's pretty cool. It was like hundred people or whatever. Slightly more established company, um, not much, <laughs> and uh, ended up working for for them for <clears throat> yeah, like four years. Wow, uh, that's a long time. Yeah, it was a little. To be honest for, with you, for a uh, gap. <laughs> yeah, a little longer than I expected, but it was really interesting, and they were doing a lot of device embedded device stuff, kind of IoT type stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. telecom related things, and. Uh, and I started working with Qualcomm and Verizon and a bunch of these cool. folks. And, uh, and then eventually that was the company where we, our tech was working. We were working with Microsoft okay, and uh, getting our stuff to work on with their platform that they were building. And then eventually it was like, Hey, why don't you just move to Redmond? And, uh, and I was like, sure. <laughs> well, that's pretty nice. Yeah, no, that's super awesome. And Redmond's in the Seattle area, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's right over the, the we're going to cross the lake. Um, oh, that's cool. Called, called the Puget Sound area. So you got Seattle, Bellevue, Redmond, Kirkland, you know, the east side. We call it the <laughs> east side. And then there's Seattle. But it's like 15 minutes away. I mean, it's not a – and, you know, Seattle's like a size of San Francisco. It's like a million people or less. Okay. That's a good size. Maybe like Boston size. Maybe a little, I don't know, relatively similar. Yeah. It's not like when people – you know, for me, growing up in New Jersey, is like the city is New York City. Yeah. Right. It's like 20 million people. Yeah, you have New York or you have Philly. There's pretty much. And then every other city in the U.S. is like just a tiny fraction of mm-hmm. that. Right? So Seattle's like, a, it's a city, but it's not the city. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Seattle bad. looks absolutely gorgeous, but I can't get over it. Every single time I ask someone this question, they always explain to me like Bellevue and Kirkland. And whenever I think of Kirkland, the only thing that comes to my mind, because I'm over all the way over here on the east side is, um, what is that? The Whole Foods brand? No, the uh, Costco That's brand. Costco. Kirkland, yeah. everything says Kirkland. Kirkland, and I'm like, oh, man, imagine living in Kirkland. Yeah. To me, that's so there's like, actually we go to the Costco run. in Kirkland. We actually go. No way. To- Is it like the original Costco? I don't know if it's the original. Feels like it. <laughs> that's awesome. And so, how long have you been at Microsoft? And Microsoft, so you 50, said about, about you 15 years. Yeah, about 15 years. Okay, so that's very, very awesome. Um, yeah. Do you like it? Like, I mean, obviously, been there for 15 years. Like, do you? Is this like the career you expected to have? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny going back to when I was a kid, you know, Microsoft flight simulator and, you know, I knew, you know, and I hadn't really kind of visualized that I would actually work at Microsoft someday. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun when you come into Microsoft, it's like a, for, you know, if you're into it, like I was, it's like a historic place, you know, and, 
actually met Bill Gates multiple times. And yeah, that's uh, cool. that was fantastic. And it's I'm just obsessed like, with Bill Gates. Um, I recently watched, uh, listened to his podcast with Dak Shepard on Armchair Expert. And the one thing that really got me was how much Diet Coke he drank. So, oh, yeah. That, that man, it was something like absurd. Like, you could drink like six an hour. Like, there was like some statistic that he said. Mm-hmm. Like, if he got to like just drink Diet Coke, how many he could actually drink, like, without having to like ration them out. That yeah. guy seems, besides that, obviously, seems very, very cool. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's, and there are free, uh, free sodas. <laughs> I don't know if that's related, but. Um, and we've actually now expanded to healthier beverages in addition to Coke, which is good. So, um, <laughs> sparkling so, water is something thing. to think about, but uh, really yeah, cool. no, it's been great. It's been, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic place. It's gone through its own, obviously kind of evolution with times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, um, had an opportunity to work on some cool, cool, cool stuff. Some of it wildly successful, some of it wildly unsuccessful, but, um, <laughs> within a framework where, you know, one of the nice things about Microsoft, it's a big company that can make big bets mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work out. You learn from it and you kind of carry on, you know? So it's a radically different than if you're working at a small company of 25 people and you make a big bet and you lose the bet, you close the business basically. Yeah. Uh, and everyone goes, finds another job. So, but Microsoft is, this, you know, you, you, there's a, I don't say luxury, but there's an opportunity here to, to you know take some big swings at things and uh some longer term investments yeah and that was one of the reasons i joined microsoft a lot of people join microsoft is because you can do things at a much bigger scale mm-hmm. and a much bigger impact you know on the world than being at a small company yeah recently i've i've spoken a lot with people from microsoft um within the past few few months um, microsoft came to penn state's campus and they were two Oh, 3 p.m.s um, and they were all really cool actually from Redmond and they spoke about their jobs and I realized wow like all these people are really cool and recently I've been speaking with them a lot more since quarantine started because they have startups and um, while being p.m.s which I think speaks a lot about Microsoft and how much time they give people to kind of be active in their own pursuits especially being um, like they're p.m. too so what they graduated in 2016 maybe from college mm-hmm. they're already starting like starting their own companies while staying at um staying at microsoft which is really really interesting and i've very much liked the people um all four that i've met including you <laughs> yeah but um great community pretty so diverse do you ever, um, yeah super yeah super diverse everybody that i talked to three people that i talked to who came there that spoke to us about what a pm was one of my problems i think that i have with like tech degrees in general is a lot of times what they pitch to students is going into consulting or going into software engineering. The thought of being a PM um, or doing things like product design, I feel like isn't really told, like brought to you until you're already graduated and you've spent a few years working in consulting or software engineering. And then you decide that you want to do things like design. Um, So it's super duper nice that Microsoft has people that fly out and explain to us, you know, you can do, you can do something else besides being a software engineer, which at the time I did not know. (laughs) So good thing they told me that my, my junior year. (laughs) Or else I'd be doing something I wouldn't be very happy in. I was going to say, I mean, you know, tech is such a pervasive part of the world today and business and personal things that it's a lot more than just checking code in. Right. Uh, And there's a lot of, you know, we call it go to market and sales and working with partners and marketing and, you know, strategy and business analysis and finance and 
you know, it's, it's a very well-rounded set of disciplines that you need to actually be successful in the tech business. So mm-hmm. there's lots of opportunities for folks, you know, with um, all kinds of degrees and backgrounds to contribute. And uh, yeah. you don't really have to be software engineering uh, to be a big contributor at Microsoft. We actually need people that can think in lots of different ways and have lots of different skills. So. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's really good to hear people say that too. Um, just hearing it, I think from the outside, I feel like people tell themselves, you know, when you're in doing your degree, you're like, I don't need to be a, a number cruncher. I don't need to do math my whole life. Like with, with your sweaty bumps rubbing against your thighs, like, I don't worry, I, I'm not gonna be doing math my whole life. This is just a few classes. And it's so nice to hear people telling you there's, there's other things out there you can do with this degree. <laughs> um, and do you want to speak a little bit about your own podcast and IOT? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So the IoT Unicorn, so aka.ms forward slash the IoT Unicorn, um, <laughs> is something that I started uh, with Microsoft a few months ago. Actually, we started early 20. We had the idea actually at like CES 2020, early 2020. And the idea was that I talked to a lot of partners and talked to a lot of thought leaders out there, really interesting people. About you know where a lot of stuff's heading in terms of AI and AJI and IoT and things connected to the cloud, you know, and um, have these really interesting conversations. And I think I was with a colleague of mine in the back of the cab coming back from a dinner, and we're like, I should like we should just record these things and turn it into a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where the idea came from, and um, started doing some recording. Of course, then you know the COVID hit you know, lots of, uh, obviously changes, um, and, uh, changes in priorities. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so I'd recorded a few episodes and sort of, you know, in the early episodes, you can sort of hear the changes in the pandemic, you know, like February to March to April to like, (laughs) Oh, I guess we're all at home now. Um, and now, you know, I record, uh, basically come out with a new episode every two weeks. Uh, record a, a new one every couple of weeks too. And so I usually have one or two kind of in the, in the bag, ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just trying to have those interesting conversations and help people understand, you know, not necessarily, you don't have to be an engineer to appreciate it, but sometimes we do get a little esoteric with like 5g and all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff, but mostly it's sort of like, well, where is this all going? And like, you know, um, you know, how does the movie end basically? Um, and uh, it's interesting just to hear the answer to that question from different people. I had the chief medical officer of Microsoft on recently talking about the intersection of healthcare and technology, which is obviously a pretty hot topic. Yeah. Um, also talked to folks from Qualcomm about, you know, 5g and where that's going and uh, you know, all kinds of things we had uh, the president of arm, uh, on recently talking about um, um, kind of the future of, of silicon and uh, where that's going. So, yeah, so it's a lot of fun and um, get to use my cool microphone. And I started doing it on Teams, you know, because uh, I'm talking to people from around the world. And that kind of worked because, you know, as soon as we went into sort of pandemic shutdown mode, yeah. it was like, oh, well, I'm already set up to do this. Yeah, so we have a little... Yeah, we have a little production team that, you know, I record it on Teams and then I send them the file and they kind of assemble it and then we we push it out. So it's been a good learning experience and um, understanding how this works and mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, storytelling is part of the it's kind of one of those kind of undervalued skill sets I think in tech mm -hmm. to be able to communicate with other humans about you know what's the what's the deal what's the story you know why should we be working together where's this all heading you know how can I help you with your business um, that's all storytelling skills and so it's helped me I think maybe refine my my skills a little bit in that area yeah that's so funny that you brought up storytelling because actually one of the people that I still talk to from Microsoft where I check out or I help him out with his uh, startup, we talked about the other day about storytelling and how every everybody should really practice to be a storyteller. But it's so funny when people have in their LinkedIn headline, storyteller, because it's something like in tech that you should kind of take for, like everybody should kind of be a storyteller. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a great storyteller. I've been thinking about maybe starting like a medium article mm. or something like that because that's something I definitely need to improve on. Um, but being a storyteller is something that, that everybody in tech should be. I think you should be able to kind of put your, put your thought across, I think, smoothly and talk about what the future could be, could be like with technology. Um, and I think surrounding even the topic of tech, it's a little bit hard to be a storyteller because you don't know where things are going. Like everything's really, really ambiguous and you can kind of make a lot of like assumptions, but you don't really know 100%. Um, so I think it's, it's hard to be a storyteller, I think, on the subject, but it's also, I think, the most interesting because you get to think a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's uh, an undervalued skill, like I said, being able to communicate, especially when you get into really heavy technical things. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, simplify it to the point where it's understandable, but you don't oversimplify it so that you're trivializing it. So um, that's always been, you know, I think for anyone in the tech field, that's a good skill to kind of work on is, how do you communicate um, kind of esoteric technical things in a way that people can understand? And yeah, yeah. Have you seen those videos where they, um, I forget who makes them, but it's like they take four or five different people and they explain um, like rocket science basically. And they say, explain, right. having a college student explain the subject, having a like expert exchange uh, explain it and having like, somebody that's like an actual actual rocket science that has been for 30 years explain it and then having like a high schooler that took one class on it explain it and i always think those are so nice. interesting and you find that like a lot of times it's a lot easier to understand what the topics are talking about the younger the earlier the earlier they get which i always thought was really interesting yeah. it's all about how how yeah no, I can see you that. know i can see that yeah. Sometimes if you're a real expert, it's hard to explain it because you got, there's too much. Yeah. Well, too you much. also skip over steps. That's what I find myself do. I <laughs> skip over things like all the freaking time. If I'm trying to explain an idea, I just like jump from, from A to C, which definitely something I'm trying to work yeah. on. Why did you choose to do a podcast yeah. and not like a newsletter or a blog? Because I feel like newsletters yeah. now in tech are, are really hot. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've done sort of internal newsletters and things, kind mm -hmm. of updates. I find, I find that people's attention spans on reading things is pretty limited these days. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of a Twitter phenomenon. You know, once you get past the first paragraph or two, they're like tuned out. Yeah. Uh, and I listen to podcasts. I, you know, I walk my dogs in the morning and listen to a podcast. And I thought, well, if I could communicate this, you know, in 30 minutes or less, I try to keep, always make it less than 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> sort of between meetings podcast where you could sort of listen to it, learn a little bit and then move on. I thought that would be a good medium to try. And, uh, um, you know, people told me I had a good voice for it. So I figured, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of leverage that a little bit. But the other thing is you get to hear the other person 
you know, in their voice, yeah. right? As opposed to words on the page. Um, it's a totally different way of communicating, I think. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's um, ultimately, you know, you have to be able to tell that story through different meanings. I'm actually working with our PR team right now on some uh, blog posts and press releases and you know it goes out through all these different channels yeah sometimes at microsoft we we will we will hit it with multiple things we'll do a podcast and a press release and a blog post and you know so um in fact i'm going today to record uh, there's a recording of one of our execs who's going to be speaking at an event uh coming up Mm -hmm. and um similar topics to what i've been talking about but they're going to do it as a kind of a keynote walk on you know recording Oh, that's cool. Uh, so you sort of have to get the message out, evangelize your message through different mediums. And because uh, I think people are just these days, con- you know, consuming information in lots of different different ways at different times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have to be able to manage all those. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny that you say when you said the, the Twitter effect about reading, because I had a, a job interview just asked me, or one of the essays was, um, when you go to learn something, what method do you use to learn? And it was like, for example, like reading books. And I was like, I just immediately try to find like the expert podcast. Like once I find the podcast on the subject, I love listening to it and walking. Like I feel like walking too, or like moving while learning something helps it stick better for me personally. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny because yeah. I was like the book, like, of course I read. I think everybody should read, um, especially now that I'm not reading for school. It's so much easier to read just for pleasure. But if I'm really, really trying to understand a subject, I feel like a podcast right. or a YouTube video would be like my number, my number one. Um, um, and then like a book kind of far, like after I kind of really grasp it um, and then it would be like a book. So I think that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, fortunately we do have a, a lot, a lot, a lot of different ways to, like you said, kind of get educated about certain topics. You could get mm-hmm. the, the, the two minute YouTube primer, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of, it's sort of like reading the back of the book for the book report, you know, it's like, yeah. Like, well, basically uh, there's a whale and the captain tries to get the whale and, you know, so there's that level and then you can always just keep going, you know, podcasts, books, all kinds of things. Yeah. And did you come to Microsoft with the idea of making a podcast or did Microsoft come to you? Good question. I think I sort of suggested the idea and then it was like, they were like, yeah, you should do that. Um, Oh, that's really cool. And then they hooked me up with the the right marketing and production folks, Microsoft, you know, marketing folks to, to make it happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's been sort of a combination of things. That's awesome. So just pulling a 180 here, by the way, back to your college and everything. I've noticed that you're still really involved um, with uh-huh. BU and college students. Obviously, you were really, really helpful and said, yes, of course, you'd be on my pod. Um, so thank you a lot. Well, I did. I did reschedule multiple times just to just oh, for no. the record. I apologize for that. But. Well, my schedule is very open, so <laughs> it was perfectly fine. I've noticed um, that you were really involved with Halal and university prep. Um, yeah. Halal, we had the president last season or two seasons ago on my podcast. I had Penn State's president of Halal on. My mom's Halal's probably biggest fan ever at Penn State. They like you can get like soup for your kid if they're sick, and someone from Halal yeah. will bring it to you. That's and right. my mom loves that my mom's a huge halal fan um the president of halal her name is sophia beta she's one of the smartest people i know is a computer science student at penn state graduated early love her halal is very active at penn state um were you part of halal when you were in college 
You know, interestingly, so I have kind of two connections at BU. I mean, other than being an alum, um, mm-hmm. I used to be very involved in like student government at BU. I was actually president of the student body when I was there. Oh, that's cool. Year. And um, so I originally kind of got involved in the College of Engineering and I helped sponsor a program called TISP, which is called TISP, which is a program where BU engineering students go out into the high schools, Boston high schools, and help mm-hmm. mentor engineering programs. Um, so I kind of got involved in that first, and that was pretty cool. And it's it's really impactful because it sort of brings engineering discipline down into the high school. Yeah. And, and as part of that, kind of got involved in that, you know, met some people. have actually an old friend of mine is a professor at BU. And um, then I kind of got reconnected to the Hillel Org. I wasn't actually that involved when I was there, mm-hmm. um, but I was really impressed with the organization and they have a incredible new building there on Bay State Road and uh, do some really cool stuff. And so they asked me to be on their advisory board. And, Very cool. Uh, you know, just to kind of help think about where where things could go with Hillel and you know, I was on the board of my synagogue here at, in Bellevue, Washington. And um, so I'm pretty, uh, you know, pretty interested in how um, kind of uh, spiritual practice can evolve in this more modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been through lots of different uh, eras in the United States around, you know, Judaism and reform Judaism and how that sort of happened and how that's evolving. So that's just an interesting topic for me. And so Hillel is kind of one of those touch points, right? Like yeah. you said, your, your mom's a big fan and uh, that's great. And uh, it's one of those, it's one of those things that connects people into spiritual practice mm-hmm. and that changes as you kind of go through your life journey. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool organization and uh, hopefully I can help provide some guidance and insight there. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you can too, because they're, I'm not sure how big they are. Um, at Boston, but at Penn State, it's freaking giant. Um, and they do so much for the community, which is just yeah. amazing. Um, also, a lot of events with free food, which college students, I feel like, flock to. So their way of, like, building a community and everything, too, is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of those clubs where I feel like if people attend, they really do stick. I have a lot of friends that were part of it my freshman year. And all throughout, even to their senior year, they were just super active, which I feel like is kind of hard to do in college. You can bounce around really, really easily, especially at a school like Penn State of its size. Um, right. And Halal definitely made a big school small for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I mean, you know, people are part of a Jewish community way, and then they're not home. And so, you know, how do they maybe stay connected culturally um, to that community? I mean, maybe it's not a spiritual practice, but it's just kind of a cultural community connection. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the Hillel Abu is huge and they have all these programs and it's super impressive. So, yeah. um, you know, big, there's a big, uh, Jewish community in, in, at BU too. So, I mean, obviously that's kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think people need to sort of, uh, you know, kind of find their own connection into that. And, um, you know, it sounds like Hillel's doing a pretty good job helping people do that. Yeah. And I saw you also did even from aside from halal you did another thing called university prep um what's that well that's a high school here in seattle uh actually middle school high school so my my kids are students there i've had this our third um, is now a junior in high school there at university prep in seattle great school so i've been on our technical 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 advisor um 
so just helping them with their technology journey and like, you know, they're actually pretty front edge as you can imagine being, having a bunch of yeah, being where you guys are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you pretty, good, slow. <laughs> pretty good Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're, they're pretty done a really good job and they've done a great job in terms of remote learning and uh, mm -hmm. really been on top of it and uh, doing some amazing things there and uh, made it as, um, you know, as good as probably can be in terms of remote learning and, uh, and their kind of tech infrastructure. So, so I'm just involved in that, in that organization. And, uh, you know, I've got another, another two years to go. And then I think, I think we're, we got nobody in high school anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. My sister's, um, a junior in high school. My parents are dreading the day when she graduates cause we're going to have nobody left in our high school. And I feel like that's, I have a huge family and I only went to high school here for two years, but the rest of my siblings pretty much got to go through. So they're, my parents, I think, are pretty upset about that. Um, it's so awesome to see how much you do for stuff at Microsoft and in your community. Whenever I feel like I don't have enough time, I always see people like you, and I'm like, shoot, like, <laughs> I have more than enough well, time. There's a little bit of time here and there, but, you know, it does add up. Yeah. I think if everyone can sort of contribute a little bit, you know, to their community, yeah. it doesn't take, you know, it, you know, as long as everyone does a little bit, it kind of all adds up, so. Yeah, I completely agree, so. You're definitely killing it. And do you, um, I guess for my final, final question I have, or final two questions, I guess my first one I want to ask is what the, what do you think the best advice you have is to give? And then what's the best advice you've ever gotten? <clears throat> oh man, that was a good <laughs> advice to give. I think it's always good to be, try to be very self-aware, um, of yourself and your surroundings. And, uh, I think a lot of times you kind of plow through life, you know, without sort of thinking about maybe being more in, I've been trying to do that a lot mm -hmm. um, and appreciating the moment and understanding like where you're at. Part of that also is understanding what you have control over and what you don't have control over. You know, there's so many externalities that we don't have control over and kind of stressing about those doesn't really, doesn't really do anything. Um, you know, and uh, you kind of have to take a little bit of a Zen approach to some of the things going on. And uh, what you do have control over, you should lean into, um, like, which is what you can do and your reactions to people. But, you know, you don't have control over what other people are doing or you can't, can't control that. And so sort of that's a something I think people should just think about. I talk to my kids about that too. And just, uh, not not uh, trying to stress too much about things that are outside your control. Um, those are my dogs barking, by the way. What kind of dogs do you um, have? <laughs> uh, we have two two older dogs from the Aww. Humane Society. They're mixed Aww. breeds, and uh, <laughs> they like to bark. Um, but um, and then advice I've gotten. Oh. Well, I would say one of my my dad used to tell me this phrase. I was just talking to my daughter about this the other day. He used to say, you know, you got to make your own luck. Oh, I and, like that. Uh, and I was like, I was always like, what does that mean? Um, and the way he explained it was, and he was a very successful guy, passed away a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, you put yourself in situations where good things could happen. So you kind of, you know, step up and, and get, get, put yourself, you know, in that, in that spot where, yeah, maybe you do meet someone who can offer you a good job or, you can volunteer and do this and then, you know, meet someone else and, and, you know, just put yourself in a position where things could happen. That would be good. Yeah. Uh, 
not, it's not a replacement for hard work, but you know, and sometimes at Microsoft, we call that like hiding behind email, right? You're like, <laughs> I'm going to sit back emails. I'm going to wait for things to happen as opposed to, I'm going to go call you and we're going to go talk about this and I'm going to kind of put myself out there a little bit. So that was kind of a good piece of advice, like make your own luck, you know, kind of go out there like you're doing is like, you know, proactively engage with the community and with other people and put yourself in a position where you never know good things could happen. Um, might not, but you know, probably will. <laughs> so I thought that was a good, that's a good piece of advice. Yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice. I guess you can't find an open door until you find the door. So yeah, it's might, as well, might as well keep looking. Well, thank you yeah. so much for being on, on the show. That was, sure. I think really, really good Fun. advice to end on. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate the time and uh, best of luck on your, on your podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Um, Pete's Twitter will be listed in the show notes below if it'll allow me to. And I will also be putting, of course, this podcast below and any other cool things um, that came out about um, his podcast. Like he said, he has a bunch of stuff, including the publication so i think those are gonna be cool to read i haven't read those yet so i'm gonna have to hop on it thank you guys so much for listening and i hope you come back again next week